Uh, so, guys, welcome to Pull the Pin. It's, uh, it's the Grenade podcast where we've got business, brand, and banter, guaranteed, wall-to-wall wisdom with me, yours Julie. Carl's laughing already, but he knows what's coming. Uh, <laughs> with me, Alan Barrett, co-founder and CEO of Grenade. And this is our first ever live podcast at Grenade Orange Friday event. Uh, so today we have got... We've got uh, a celebrity PT, he's a yogi, he's got so many tattoos, I don't know whether to, to, to talk to him or read him. It's only Tyrone Brennan. Yes. Tyrone, welcome. Thank you. Okay, and then we've also got, uh, we've got Carl Locko, who was a, I uh, hope you don't know what I'm saying, a former gang leader uh, in, uh, in London. Uh, he's now an influencer, he's an ambassador for big change, adventurer, also still special advisor to, to yeah, Pri- Prince Harry, okay, um, hell, of a, hell of a change. And rumour has it, welcome Carl. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Okay. Just, so just so we get up on the, on, the, on the right foot now, today we're talking about pulling the pin on failure, and if at first you don't succeed, so... Got two monstrous failures right in front of me. Um, but before we actually get started, guys, so I've got to start with this, Carl. Now, you were a former London gang leader. Okay. Yeah, correct. Now, is it, is it true, rumour has it? I know what's coming. You, know, you don't know what's coming. You don't know what's coming. Is it going to be your feet? It is my feet. It is your feet, yeah. So, rumour has it, is it true, is it true that you've gone from being a, a former gang leader in London, in one of the roughest parts of London, to now being injured... Uh, by having a, a pedicure. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> I yeah. do, Is yeah. that true? Very true. Do you wish you hadn't told me that yesterday? I mean, I'm on antibiotics currently. <laughs> because I tell you what, and, yeah. pedicures are dangerous things. <laughs> I dangerous things. That and then the pedi got me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let that be a lesson to mm-hmm. anyone. Anyone who's thinking about having a pedicure, don't do it. Don't do it. It's asking for trouble. So, uh, guys, guys, welcome. Okay. So, as I said, we've got business, brand, and banter. So, but we've got some, we've got some great topics actually to uh, to get through here. So, we just let you guys invent, uh, introduce yourselves first. So, uh, uh, Tyrone, do you want to go first and tell us yeah, a bit about yeah. yourself? Yeah, So, um, my name is Tyrone Brennan, and um, you know I've got a, a personal training business called Be the Fittest, which I started in 2014, and I went through the Prince's Trust, uh, which is a charity that helps young people uh, that you know gone through tough times to help start their own business, um, but it also help, you know, people find jobs and stuff. So I went through an enterprise program, which is a program that helps people start their own business. So I went through them, started my business, um, and yeah, and, and basically just kind of like winged it all the way through till now. I know what that I'm feels here like. right now on the podcast, but <laughs> the not pinnacle, the pinnacle here with, I mean, dare I say, me, <laughs> yeah. uh, but also with uh, with with the big man with Carl. Um, so, Carl, do you, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah. Um. So the pink elephant in the room was that I was an ex gang leader. Okay. But we can all see that now. Um. <laughs> and yeah. So I was very fortunate to be able to turn my life around. But then after I did that, I was left with a kind of a blank slate. It was clean. It was like, what do I do now? You know, so then I thought, you know what? I don't want to kind of go into the conveyor belt that's been set for me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try and create my own vacancy, not look for job vacancies. Okay. So I'm like, I am Carl and I have something specifically I can offer the world. 
So I said, you what know, is that? <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. That I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. Yeah, I'm sure so he does. I said, you know what? I want we'll try and find it. Me. Here we go. I want to offer me. And I ended up just doing that. And eventually it just led to climbing mountains with the Bransons, to advising Prince Harry, to working with Martin Luther King in Atlanta, to um, activism in Australia. It's just taken me everywhere. Okay. I mean, I've got a, you've blasted from, <laughs> <laughs> literally from gang leader to walking with the Bransons and Prince Harry. And there's like, I'm just really interested in trying to find out overcoming challenges, learning from mistakes and, and, and failures. But so just start with you then, Carl. So yeah. just tell us a little bit about, you know, don't be too specific. It's up yeah. to you. But just being a gang leader in London, I mean, what, yeah. you know, from what age? How'd you get into that? Yeah. How'd um, you get out of that? Yeah. So I grew up in Mitesville, this state which was actually um, nicknamed by the local press as the Devil's Den. Mm -hmm. So um, one article actually said Lucifer himself is afraid to walk through there. And the borough commander gave explicit instructions to all of these kind of um, foot patrol to not walk through Mitesville. They must be either in a car or armed, you know? Mm -hmm. Was that because and, of you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> not yet. So <laughs> around that time, actually, I was playing ball games where it says no ball games allowed. And then... That's oh, that is dangerous. Yeah. That, is, that, is, that, is real, <laughs> that is real serious shit right there. So I was doing that, and as that was happening, actually, about 20 meters from me, someone actually filled someone else with lead, discharged the firearm at him, and then um, the car, actually, that they were in crashed into a pole, and two of the wheels was in the air, and then the shooter that actually discharged the firearm ran back to where me and my friends were playing footy, took off his jumper, put it on one of our makeshift goalposts, Put, took a brick put, um, from the wall, put the gun behind the, um, where the brick was, put the brick back, and then told us to pass him the ball. You know, so we had to play footy with him until the police came and left. And how old were you when that happened, and when was that? I was 12 years old, and, um, yeah. It, it, it took about maybe 30 minutes for the police to get there, and then the, he told the police the guy went that way, and we all kind of pointed that way too. And that was my introduction to where we were at, yeah. And I guess at that point, you kind of, you're, you're sucked in because you saw something, they know you saw something, and is that kind of how it works? You know it was less about the um, consequence of me seeing that and his actions, and more just the effect of seeing that. Mm -hmm. I was traumatised, you know? I didn't realise that, like, I expected to only see footballs being shot. <laughs> yeah. You know, 12 years old, playing a little bit, kick around with my mates, and then to see someone actually being shot so close, and yeah, it just traumatised me. It stained us all. Okay, yeah. I bet. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you, and uh, just, I mean, that, yeah, that's just incredible. I don't know how you cope with that at, at that age. I mean, um, Tyrone, I mean, anything you, what are your thoughts on that? Anything yeah, you've yeah, had from your childhood? Because again, yeah. you're London-born as well. Yeah, London-born as well. And... Um, you know, growing up, like, it was a bit different because I, I grew up and I, I moved around different parts of, like, southwest, west London. Um, you know, but the thing is, is, is where I went to school, it was like a, a standard school. It wasn't, like, super bad, but, like, you had good people and, and kind of, like, bad people. But when I came out of school, it was the surroundings and the environment that kind of, like, you know, took me in. And, um, you know, growing up in London is hard because, like, you know, me not having like a dad figure around to kind of like ground me and tell me what's right or wrong. And my mum <clears throat> kind of like left when I was 16. I was kind of like left to, to, to my own devices. And the people that I used to look up to were these people in my environment. So like the, the, the people, like my role models would be people that were 
you know, that would have the nice cars, that would yeah. have, you know, all the girls, that would have the nice jewelry and stuff like that. And, and you see how they were making money or you see how, you know, they were, they were conducting their own business and, um, you know, behaving and used to look up to that. So that was like, for me, the types of things that my friends, we used to look up to and we used to try and portray. Um, and yeah, and then you end up getting sucked in. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's tough to get out of because there was no one there to help guide you, to tell you what's right or wrong. I had no inspirational figures. I had like, you know, my parents weren't there. Mm. Like, and the thing is, when, when I was younger, I didn't want to listen to anyone. I would just want to listen to my friends. Yeah. I just wanted to have fun, listen to my friends and like be cool. Like there was a lot, of, at the time, there was a lot of kind of, you know, trying to step up to the plate of, of, of being the main man and trying to be, you know, the best person that you could be. And uh, yeah, through any means necessary. And I guess both of you, you could almost end up stuck in this perpetual doom loop of you kind of, you fall into that way of life. And then how do you get out of it? I mean, how did you get out of it? Yeah, do you know, it's tough because the only ones you see with financial freedom in your midst yeah. is literally those that are doing it illegitimately. You know, so only the criminals in the area could drive German cars, wear Italian clothes, and go to sunny destinations, you know? Mm -hmm. um, everyone else was kind of stuck um, working a nine to five, and you were considered rich in my community if you made over 25K a year, you mm -hmm. know? And it was just kind of bleak. And then not just that, but you would go to school where some of the teachers, actually, they're kind of worn out in a certain way, mm -hmm. and then they would <laughs> respond to you sometimes in a negative way because of the fatigue, I would say, mm -hmm. mainly. And then even they're not saying kind of like inspirational things to you. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of being told that if you really work hard, you can kind of be like your parents. Mm. And I'm like, my mother works 14-hour days, comes yeah. home with cardiac arrest in her eyes and hardly makes ends meet. Yeah. So you I don't want to be like that. Be no. like that you know? So um, that loop and that was the reality. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't actually find inspiration in my community. It no. weren't there. So I had to start looking elsewhere. Yeah. And then I got that contact through books. Okay. I became like an autodidact. I just began to read a book a week. Okay. You know, and... I and who encouraged you to do that? I mean, it was necessity for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was in a place where <laughs> if I described my... <laughs> I mean, one of my closest friends was murdered by my side a, a day before my GCSE exams. Um, another one of my best friends was shot twice in the head two years after that. Um, another one, another young man that lived with me at my mom's house for four years. Um, he was then murdered the following year after that. I mean, the theme is murder and incarceration, mm. you know? So, um, if you, when you're in that environment, like for me, that was oxygen was to yeah. read those books and to plug into those podcasts. And I fell in love with the whole kind of Ted talk movement and I would watch one a day yeah. and I just tried to bring some level of control because I did feel powerless. Yeah. Okay. You know? So, yeah. and, and what was school like for you guys? I mean, I, I for entirely different reasons, I, yeah. I hated school. Okay. I found it quite boring and I, and I certainly didn't want to, since I left or dropped out of school, I've just carried on just learning things I want to learn. Mm -hmm. And I know we've spoken about the education system yeah. in the UK. We think it's probably fairly broken and useless anyway. But what was, what was school like for you at the time? Like for me, like, um, you know, my mum tried to put me in, like, the best school that she could. And um, I went, like I said, I went to uh, uh, all right school. It wasn't the worst school. Mm. It wasn't the best, best, best school, but it was a, it was a good school. But did you enjoy it? Did you feel you got so, anything so, out of so it? Or? The thing is, I remember like, you know, the one thing I did learn was like, they were very disciplined in there. 
but like it made me rebel. Do you know what I'm saying? Because it was so disciplined, it mm -hmm. made me rebel. And um, I remember the teachers, they didn't really have like much faith. There was one teacher that me and my friends, we joke about that he says to me, I'm going to have the last laugh with you. Yeah, you're going to be a failure. I'm going to have the last laugh. And I remember these words he told me. And at that time, I was young and I was like, and The teacher like, said that to you. Yeah, the teacher said that to me. He said, You're going to be a failure. I'm going to have the last laugh. And we'll how do you feel when someone said that? Did that actually I, I, set no, something? No, when, when, when he said that to me, I didn't take him serious. I was like, you're, you're an idiot. Like, you know, shut up. Like, you know, and, um, you know, we used to just take the piss out of it. And uh, I would love right now for me to go back to the school yeah. and see this teacher and show and him. Beat him up. Yeah, show, yeah, show, oh, I was yeah, going to say, yeah. say something a little bit, you know, but I'm trying to keep this PG. But... Um, yeah, just show him what's what and show Go him. with Carl, he's massive. Carl, we're rolling, we're rolling. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, but, but school, you know, it, it, like, do you know, for me, it just showed me about the discipline and, 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 you know, but it made me rebel after, like, because... And rebel in what way? In, in, in the way that I didn't want, like, I had enough of people telling me what to do. It was, it was crazy. Like, we used to be in a school where if we were in a playground, yeah, like, and it, like, you couldn't, like, run around. If, if they, you got caught running around, they would try and discipline you and tell you to, you know, like, go to some teacher's office or something like that. Is this school or prison? It, that's yeah. what I'm saying. It was crazy. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it was a Catholic school. So I went to... And the Catholic schools are, are quite strict. Okay. So I went to this school, but, you know, it made me rebel after. And, um, you know, I think things have changed now. But, uh, yeah, I just... I, I, it, was, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't for me. Because as soon as I finished school, I went to college. And college has so much freedom. I was like, I, I, didn't, I didn't go to class. I didn't want to, you know, do anything. It was, it was like, there was too much freedom. So I was just rebelling. Like the teachers were telling me, so I was rude to the teachers. I just didn't care. I ended up dropping out. I hated teachers, yeah. to be fair. I was rude to teachers as well. Um, I actually kind of enjoyed school. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Oddly enough, I was um, diagnosed a child genius when I was um, 10 years old, actually. I'm trying not to look surprised. Yeah. <laughs> so I did my year nine SATs in year six. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. and I got level sixes, which is what you got in the extension paper if you did it in year nine. Okay. You know, so it was a bit of a song and a dance. It was a kind of like, you can be what you want to be, do what you want to do. And my parents believed in meritocracy at the time. You know, so they're like, Plymouth, heck, we've got one, we've cracked it. You know, this is the reason why we came to this country. You yeah. know, so anyway, um, they would look at me like a meal ticket. I felt that pressure. But the British schooling system is one, if they give you information and you can regurgitate it, you're clever. You're clever, yeah. And I mean, my regurgitation was unreal. I can tell you dates, times, sentences. So they all kind of like celebrated me, which gave me a level of confidence, yeah. I must say. However, where I feel this school system failed me quite dramatically is when my friend was murdered the day before my GCSE exams. I was in the top set for every class, even though I was still involved in, in certain things. Yeah. Um, they knew I was intelligent. However, I only got four GCSEs because mm -hmm. I was just writing my friend's name on all of the questions. You know, I weren't really, I couldn't focus. The only well, one. And there was no dispensation for that. You couldn't, it's just, that was tough. It was just, okay. I mean, none. They were just like, they actually had a word with me and said, listen, where you're from, what's going on, how it is, you can't like, yeah, just do your exams. And they literally mm -hmm. sent me into the um, exam hall with, like tears in my eyes and I'm just doing my exam, you know. Unbelievable. That's where they really failed me, I would say. Okay, yeah. no, definitely. I mean, two very different, I mean, un, you know, two difficult starts mm. in life, very different circumstances, but difficult. And then do you think, 
Because the thing with, I always say a lot with failure, failure is your friend. Mm. So we love failure, but it's quick failure is, is where yeah, you yeah, learn. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I always kind of feel a bit, you know, I kind of worry for people that probably haven't experienced failure because you're going to experience it at some point. And I think it's better when you're young because you've got time to recover. Because mm. if you're kind of shielded from that as it goes throughout your life, you know, it's going to get the, the, those mistakes. So your failure is harder to overcome when you've got less time to recover from it. But where, where you guys have, have had these difficult starts, do you think, that was instrumental in getting you both to where you are today? For me, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah 100%. For me, like, I didn't, I didn't really... Um, there was a point in my life where after I finished college and um, like I had all that freedom from the school and I ended up rebelling and um, looking up to those role models, I ended up, like, surrounding myself with, you know, individuals that, you know, were into crime went into that street life, and then I ended up getting into a deep hole myself um, in positions where I got myself into a lot of trouble, in like sticky situations where, like literally, like I felt like I had no hope, you know, and um, I was in a place where, you know, like there, there was no out. And the worst thing at that time, I just remember, like, I didn't care. Yeah. Mm. They, like, that's the thing, like, I didn't care. I didn't care about anything. Like, I didn't care about my family. I didn't care about me. There was no... You felt you got nothing to lose. I had nothing to lose, and that was a scary thing. And I did, I done things that were were crazy, you know, that I'm not even like, you know, happy to even speak about right now. Um, but basically, it got to the point where I was in that position that I said to myself, and I remember I was talking to this guy, and like, this guy was like a a, a gangster, like he was, you know, like moving a lot of drugs like 25 like tons of like cocaine yeah. and I remember I was talking to him and he said to me Ty do you know what like you have you've got brain like you're not you're not stupid mm-hmm. yeah the only reason why he does all of this kind of stuff is because that's the only thing he knows how to do mm-hmm. he says you know go out there and don't be afraid to work don't be afraid to learn and I remember just listening to him and I said you know what I, I, I wanna I wanna I wanna change but I still didn't change for like a couple years after that until I found out that I was gonna have my first kid Mm-hmm. And I said to myself, do you know what? I really need to fix my life. Like God spoke to me in many ways, <clears throat> telling me, do you know what? Gave me like chance after chance after chance. And I used to say to myself, how many chances do I have? Mm-hmm. You know, like soon these chances, like cats only got nine lives. Like how many chances do I have until something goes seriously wrong? So um, yeah, I was lucky enough to, 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 you know, like be strong enough to, to, to change my life. And, and, and yeah, and that's, that's what basically was that failure time there for me to, and when, and when did you find fitness? At what point did fitness... So throughout my whole life, I always used to train. Like, I remember, you know, when I was young, I was infatuated with, like, just looking at, like, magazine covers, like, you know, martial arts covers, like Bruce Lee and all of that. And I used to be like, wow, that body's crazy. You know, like, he's got the eyes like me. Let me try and be like him. <laughs> you know, like, let me make these movies. I used to watch the films. And then, you know, but I was super skinny. If I show you some pictures... Yeah, like, honestly, like, I was super, super skinny. So when I was, like, 15, I started doing weights in the gym and trying to, you know, just do press-ups and stuff like that. And throughout that time, I just carried on training. And me and my friends, we used to, you know, just meet up and we used to just train. And that used to be kind of like my out to, to forget about all the other issues and stuff and, 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 you know, just have fun. And we used to just, like, you know, train, do a set talk and, like, you know, tell stories and have fun. And that was, that was it for me. And then I just loved it from there. And where was training then? Because I guess, I mean, had you got any money to go to a gym? Were yeah, there any no, gyms? So what, or... what, what my friends used to do, they used to, they used to buy, in August, yeah, you could buy a bench, 
for like 25 yeah. pounds. Yeah. So they bought the bench with the home weights and we used to go to their house and we used to just bang the plastic, you know those plastic, the weights, yeah, yeah. the plastic weights filled with like sand yeah, or whatever. So, yeah, so we used to yeah. go there and we used to and, train. And the weights were massive, so like a five kilo weight would be like the size yeah, of a dustbin yeah, yeah, lid. Yeah, that's it. I used <laughs> so to feel big. You could only fit I was you... banging out like yeah. 10 kg, but I felt like I was hitting like 100. I love those days when weights were massive because it makes you used to look strong. Yeah, 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 that's <laughs> yeah. It. But isn't it funny? So like I, um, when I was 15, I was bored at school and I, I discovered training because I, I always wanted to just do something different. Yeah. I didn't want to ever do anything other people were doing. So I, I, um, I persuaded my parents to buy me that, that York Argos yeah, set you, from you Argos. Know the one, the York. weights Because before that, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't buy me the weights. They didn't think I'd stick to it. So when I was really, I was skinny as well. I was just under 11 stone. I'm you know, like six feet tall. So I'm, I'm, I'm they used to call me Big Al, Al at school because I was kind of uh, skinny. <laughs> so they're I'll show you Big Al. So, um, but yeah, I was just, I used to do everything for free. So my parents have got no money. So I just, I do push-ups and I get like boxes of marbles and try and like make a bench out of it and try and, and I think when they saw me like for month after month after month trying to train and trying to make like a bench off the edge of the sofa and that, they said, actually, okay, we're going to, we're going to sort of buy you some weights. And I remember actually going to, I think it was macro actually, not Argos, but it was like your barbell set and, mm. and, uh, and buy the weights. And then that was it. And I kind of, when I was 14 years old wow. and then went to a gym when I was 15 on, on work experience, and they kind of felt sorry for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, 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 ne I never left. But um, I mean, Carl, obviously, um, what you do in terms of Nanny's adventuring, I know fitness is important to you as well, but at what, at what stage did you find fitness in, you know, from an early age? It's or? a very similar setup. Yeah. P, P, I miss P all the time mm -hmm. because I would rather um, not bring my uniform in for PE, my kit, sorry, and then use the time to write lyrics at the time. And I was heavy into kind of rap music and the rest mm -hmm. of it. So I just enjoyed that. That was my exercise lyrically. And then when I got to about, oh, I'll say about 18, when I wanted to start denouncing gangsterism, I realized the more I left gangsterism, the more I got bigger. It was weird. Yeah. It, almost on a subconscious level, I started to literally do more weights. And I, I think maybe it was to feel safer. I don't, I'm not too sure what was going on, but we did order the York um, <laughs> yeah, set up. They, we had yeah. that. And eventually we went from the stone kind of 5kgs to the um, Olympic bar and yeah. the metal plates. And we were just going for it. And I mean, every day, just in the garden, you know what's, hitting it. Bro, yeah. you know what's crazy? I remember the first time. So I was used to training with the Argos York Bar. Yeah. And I remember the first time we used to go to the gym. And the gym, yeah, what we had to do, one of my friends was a member. Yeah, he used to go up, swipe in, and he used to throw the car down. And we used to try and go up. And we used to all get in there, yeah, like one by one. We had to wait five minutes each time. And <laughs> I love it. we used to go up to the gym, right? <laughs> And I remember the first time hitting that Olympic bar, it was different feeling. <laughs> that York yeah. bar doesn't represent that Olympic bar. So I remember that like, was. I was like, I had the like the 2.5s. And that was the equivalent of what I was banging yeah. in the August one, but I had the big plates in the August one. The little 2.5s with the Olympic bar, I was like struggling. Like, it was crazy. And the bar's really thick yeah, as well, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, and, like, it different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You walk in thinking, I'm pretty strong. I know what I'm doing at home. And actually, you realize you're really yeah, yeah, weak. Yeah, it wasn't happening. Uh, yeah, I was really, yeah, I was, like I said, I was, I was 15 in the gym, and uh, yeah, they called me Big Al as well. Um, but uh, I've had the name for 30 years. Um, but isn't it amazing how something as simple with what you both described as well? Um, and where you come from, and the, there's just no opportunities, but something as simple as a bench and a few weights yeah, can actually give you something to do, give you some challenges, do something you can kind of be with your friends and socialise and actually enjoy it and kind of do something constructive 100%. together. I think like weight training for me, it was almost like 
uh, it almost felt like a shield of armor. Yeah. Mm. And as I kind of got bigger and more into it and pushing myself, and, and it was just, it was nice. It was a solo thing. None of my friends mm. were doing it. It was kind of unheard of. You know, this was like 30 years ago. So uh, for me, it was just something that was just really important to me. And I, I learned a lot of discipline from mm, that discipline cool. of doing it. Uh, also, just things like putting the weights away because I'd try and set up the bench like in the kitchen <laughs> or something, so I couldn't leave it there. So, just some, something as simple as you know, putting it all out, putting all the weights away afterwards, and just and just and again doing it consistently because it's very hard slog, isn't it? You know, it it take you get yeah, it's 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 really it's really hard to do. And I think you know, for me, that kind of set my love of fitness for the rest of my life. I'll always train. My training will change. Like your training has changed, I'm sure. But for me, I thought actually that'll just really just set me up for life for that discipline. I can't ever imagine not doing it. Yeah, you're right, you're right, um, 100%. So, I mean, Ty, so um, you get into your fitness and then at what point do you think you want to be PT? And you so, wanna... yeah, I mean, I mean, I, do you know, when I was, uh, at that time when I was training, I didn't, it's crazy, I didn't even want to be in fitness. I didn't, I didn't want to, I was too much involved in wanting to aspire to those people that mm-hmm. were in the streets and I didn't ever look to be a trainer or mm-hmm. be into fitness. It was just something that I love to do. And um, it was at the point where I was, I remember I was just contemplating saying, I don't want to live this life anymore. I need to change my life. What is there for me to do? What's, and it's, I remember talking to someone, they said, you know, you, if you want to start your own business, start it with something that you have a passion for. Mm-hmm. And then I remember thinking, what well, do I have a passion for? And there's always been training. And um, I had a real passion for that. And I had some friends saying to me, Ty, like, you'd make a great personal trainer. And at that time, I was like, personal trainer? I don't want to be a trainer, because at that time, it was very much personal trainers would be people that work tonight, the Divergent Actives or, or the Fitness First. Mm-hmm. And like, no disrespect on that, but I didn't, I didn't want to do that. Yeah. So then it came to a point where I said, you know, if I'm going to do a personal training thing, and I remember I started training like, a lot of friends, and they was like, bro, you'd be sick. I said, I want to start my own business. And if I'm going to do the personal training thing, it's gonna have my own company, and I wanna go against the likes of the people in, in you know, the Virgin Actives or the Fitness First. And then that was like literally the first time that I started thinking, I'm becoming excited to, to go ahead and start my own business. And is that like almost a way of, because my dad worked for himself and worked really hard and never made any money, worked, you know, provided, and, and my mum couldn't work because mm-hmm. um, she had a, a, like osteoarthritis. But, I think for me, with how I was at school, I, I, I was pretty much unemployable. So I, I, I've kind of had to work for myself. And I think I saw my dad work really hard and then, you know, kind of just get by through life, but certainly probably not proportionate to how hard he'd worked. And then for me, I thought I'd probably always have my own business one day as well. But I thought I really want to try and do something kind of successful yeah. uh, and make it big. But do you think working for yourself, Ty, was more to do with, and you said you wanted to go against, you know, the bigger gyms and the big clubs. Yeah. Was that kind of doing something almost against the establishment, just kind of being in control of your own destiny? Yeah, you know, it was, because I remember, you know, when I was maybe like 16 or 17, like my mum was like, you need to go try and get a job. And I remember I was working in like a Waitrose and um, <laughs> I was stacking the shelves. Yeah, they put me in the freezer. And I was like, <laughs> they put me in the freezer. I was like, I don't want to be in the freezer. And I remember I, I said, do you know what? I don't, I don't want to be here. And I'm just cold. And they gave me this big jacket that was like oversized. And I just felt like an idiot. And then I remember like, I had an argument with a manager. And I said, you know, like we argued. And then I said, you know, I quit. And I, and I left. And I remember she was always on me. Every Saturday morning, always just on me. And I was like, what's, what's this lady's problem? And like, I just used to, like, I just didn't want to work for anyone. I just yeah. didn't want anyone like, to, to sort of like 
tell me what to do to dictate, you know, like, like how to stack the shelf, you know, it's not, I think they used to make you like face the, the product up, like so the person could see what the That is a good was. point to be fair. I mean, yeah. if you're going to put it on, it has got, no, but it has got a face forward. So she it's has early, got a point. It's, it's, it was early in the morning, man. Like, who's, who's looking to place a product like yeah. 6 a.m.? They used to get yeah. me in there like 6 a.m. in the morning. Like, I'm like that. In the f and like, it was crazy. It's on the shelf. It doesn't matter which way yeah, around it is. Like, who cares? Yeah. This is Waitrose we're talking oh, about. Yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, <laughs> and after that, I just remember thinking, you know what? I, I, I'm just not a person that wants to work. Like, for anyone, not that I think working for people is great because you can learn, yeah, and learning is a massive thing. But ultimately, you know, I just didn't want to be that person to, to, to have to work for someone, and I really wanted to just, you know, have my own company and to be able to dictate, you know, how to, how to do things myself. And Carl was doing something for yourself important as well for similar reasons, kind of being in control of your own destiny. Because at some point, what was the light bulb moment where you think, now you're 18, you've got to get out of this life, it's going to go horribly wrong. And, you know, I still, I'm still trying to get my head of the transition from where you yeah. were to where you are, yeah. you know, and I know, it, you know, we're, gonna, we're not going to have the time to go into Can't it thoroughly, but it. <laughs> yeah, but what, what was that light bulb moment where you just thought, I've got to, there must have been a pivotal point. Do you know, I'm just curious in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it used to get me in a lot of trouble as well, but yeah. I'm, I'm curious. And curiosity got me thinking, you know what, why are they paying my mother eight pounds an hour? or seven pounds an hour, or six pounds an hour. It was just a question. I'm like, she gives them her hands, her feet, her eyes, her effort, her time. Mm. And then they're not giving us enough to live, you know? And so I, it was just a query with me for a long time. So I started doing some investigating. And then I realized that not everyone else is getting paid that, you know? <laughs> My neighbors might have been, but there's other people across town that's not. So then I was like, you know, I want to be included. My thing was all about being the first and proving that it exists. Yeah. So for a very long time, I was actually seeking something that no one around me had actually ever attained. I can imagine, so, yeah. You know, so I didn't know whether it was real. And I think it was more just the lust for discovery that really kind of pushed me. And then the trauma of my mother. I mean, I have to reiterate that literally she worked too hard and didn't make anything happen, you know, mm. in terms of for yeah. herself. It's just survival. Purely, yeah. I mean, if you can't pay the lights with it, you can't eat rice with it, then, you know, and that's all she did. So it was clocking, clocking, and I'm like, I just don't want that for myself or mm -hmm. for her or for my children. I felt I wanted to break the cycle, Okay. you know, and that really pushed mm. me, yeah. And then in terms of breaking the cycle, you know, what, what was that first point? You know, again, did you have a job to do something for yourself? What was the first thing you did after All you right. got out of that gang life? All right, cool. So I actually, if we're going to have a frank, are we having a frank conversation? Yeah, but we can have a frank conversation. Yep, All absolutely. Right, cool. Um, so <laughs> I... I mean, don't admit to any crimes or I anything because I, I will be obliged to no, turn you in. It's cool, it's cool. <laughs> I've got a level of immunity anyway. <laughs> 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 Um, does, so, that, does that cover me as well? Are no, we all no, immune? No, no, oh, okay, no, fine. Just me. So, right. That's what happens when you know Prince Harry, you get a level of immunity, <laughs> clearly. So literally, on Tuesdays back then, they used to give out something we call JSA, which is like a job seeker allowance. I don't know if it's the same setup today. And a lot of um, the addicts in the area was on JSA. So like on a Tuesday, you kind of go to the job center and then you might, if you were in that line of work, hand out some things and, mm -hmm. you know... Um, so if you were in that line of work, you got really kind of familiar with who was there and they got familiar with you. Mm -hmm. 
So then now that if you're not in that line of work <laughs> and then you go into that same establishment, you're seeing your peers that aren't your peers, mm, mm. you know? So mm. you're being recognized and all the rest of it. So I was like, oh yeah, I don't want that for one. Um, and then secondly, in my area, I was obviously through um, crime, we were able to actually live a certain way, you know? Yeah. And were people scared so, of you? Were they scared of me? Yeah. Would anyone be scared of me? No. No. <laughs> you know? So, literally, I didn't want people to then see me in terms of just shame. I felt embarrassed. Mm. You know, the fact that I had fallen so low that I can't, I have to go and sign on. So, signing on wasn't an option. So, my mother gave me her and my inheritance, okay. which was her cleaning job mm -hmm. um, on a Monday and a Thursday night at the security firm my father worked for, which was Elizabeth and Security in Stockwell. Mm -hmm. And I cleaned toilets on a Monday night and on a Thursday night for three hours. Got paid £108 every two weeks. Mm -hmm. And um, I did that for a little while. And while I was doing that, I just wanted to crack the code. How can I go from getting £8 an hour to more than that? Mm -hmm. And then after all of my searching, I stumbled upon, I got called to actually address at the youth inauguration mm -hmm. for the youth mayoral elect and all the rest of it. Uh, at the time, I was really popular in Lambeth. So mm -hmm. they called me and said they want me to kind of speak about my reformation. So I got there, spoke about it, and then at the end, they gave me 80 quid. And I was like, wait a second, I was on stage for four minutes, you gave me 80 quid, I've cracked it. I don't know, Matt, now. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so then literally from You know you're that, not getting paid for this. I know that. I Just know checking. That, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. from then I knew that. We've done the budget for that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, so, and, so, and, and you realised again, I guess, from, and, uh, I guess from you reading the books and yeah. I guess being pretty bright and obviously being very articulate and having this amazing story, the fact that people would pay to come and listen to you yeah. talk um, and then... And did that come in regularly? You could kind of no, make it? Not a... at all. Not at all. I mean, I didn't see it was far and wide. Okay. I didn't see another one for a very long time, maybe an eon. Okay. You know? and, and then <laughs> um, I was very fortunate that Dame Tessa Jow, the late Dame Tessa Jow, mm -hmm. um, she's a lovely lady. She was a, is a lovely lady in memory of her. She heard me speak one day and basically said, you have to do that in every room I'm in for the next foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. And then she just took me on and then made me do it in every single room. So I started speaking alongside Ed Miliband during the riots. Mm -hmm. And then off the back of that, it just kind of just kept on going and avalanching. And, yeah. Incredible. And again, I felt that because you've been there, people listen to it. And I guess you're just having an impact and making a difference. And I guess getting something back and being paid by the same as well. Not a bad thing. Um, I mean, it incredible really how you can just find yourself in that probably that one circumstance where one person saw you heard yeah. you and gave you a chance and then it just opened up Absolutely. all these doors which i think that's the hardest thing as well when you like you said when you're in that doom loop and all the doors are closed mm. you've got to keep pushing on every door until you find the one that just opens slightly and then absolutely kick it open yeah. Yeah. and then milk it for yeah. everything it's yeah. worth yeah. um and then ty so back to you so with uh with you with your PT, so you decide you need to become that personal personal trainer. Where where did the where's the yoga and that come from? Where's was so, that just something you particularly gravitated yeah, so, towards? So what's crazy is like I remember <coughs> when I was um remember when I was talking about that being in that low place where there was no hope and I didn't care for the world. I remember 
My cousin. That's where most of my staff are, to be honest, most yeah. of the time. Listen, man, I, I know where you sort of feel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm but joking, I they love it. They love they absolutely love like, it. We'll edit, edit that, oh, we'll edit that out. Too late, man. I saw their faces. <laughs> yeah, their faces tell a different story. Um, <laughs> the look of sadness it is. Mm. But I remember my cousin came to see me and she dropped me this book. I said, go read this. And it was like a yoga book. And I was like, is it, are you for real? Like, I tried to read it a little bit. And it started talking about like all this vinyasa terms and, you know, this ashtanga terms. And I was like, I don't understand it. But I remember just looking at the pictures trying to do like, you know, the basic sun salutations. And I, I put it down, I said, you know, I had I probably spent about five minutes reading it, I said, no, put it down. And then it was only when I started my business and uh, I was training this Olympic athlete, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, Martin Bernard, who's a high jumper. And uh, he was basically super stiff, he wasn't flexible. And you know, I was like, bro, you need to get flexible, man. Like if you're gonna, you know, do well, you need to get flexible. And I said, yeah, I didn't know anything about mobility training or how to even, you know, become flexible. So I was like, bro, we need to go to yoga. And he's like a six foot, seven, eight black guy. He was like, bro, I'm not going to yoga. Typical stereotype of, and I was like, well, you're going to stay stiff. And he goes, I only go to yoga if you come with me. I said, you know what? Deal. So we both signed up to this like introduction yoga of like 40 pound unlimited classes for the, for the month. And we went to the, I remember the first time we went to this hot yoga room and it was about 40 degrees in the room. The lady shut the door. She was like, you can't leave. I had no water. I was dying. I think I was just in that warrior one. I thought I was going to faint. It was mad. I said, this yoga thing ain't for me. It's ridiculous because it looks easy, doesn't it? Have you ever done it? No. No, I want it because while we've got the benefit of uh, the guys who are in the live audience, um, we've got to get some questions, I think, about some of the stuff you guys have been saying. Because actually, in terms of the starts you've had and where you've ended up, it's nothing short of inspirational, phenomenal, or whatever you'd say. But have we got any questions, actually, from here, from anyone who wants to ask these guys anything? Now's your chance. Don't. Oh, I was going to mic to you. Oh, it's very, there's no expense spared, ain't it? I think it's, very, it's a very professional setup. Uh, the question is, what's next? What drives you forward from here? Actually, good question. I actually lost my drive. I think the biggest enemy of big success is middle success. And I had middle success. You know, so it kind of, I wasn't, I'm used to, I'm kind of dramatic. <laughs> it needs to be, I'm hungry, I'm suffering, I'm, you know, for me to really move. You know, so... Yeah, I feel like now I've been graced with um, a beautiful baby boy. His name's Lion, and he definitely inspires me. So for me, what's next and what will be my duty for the rest of my life, I think, is to basically make sure that my next always caters to him in the best way. So that's whether impact and income. I I think the two are married, so yeah. Uh... You know, for me, it's, it's, it's carrying on to grow the business, you know, like, I've been okay to, like, I'm always hungry, like, there's always a fire in my belly, you know, since the day one, I started my business, all the way through till now, like, there's always been a fire in my belly to do more, to progress, and, like, for me, I want to really help people, so to bring people through to, you know, the same way that when I first started my business, there was people that they were there to help me, I want to help other people to come through. But um, to grow the business, you know, I've got a family, I've got three kids, so to uh, be a good uh, role model and be responsible for them and to um, always be there the same, not the same way that I didn't have a, a father figure for me, you know. And uh, yeah, just keep on inspiring people, man. And, you know, onwards and uppers and, and, and keep on working with good people and, and just to keep on growing. Out of interest, both of you couldn't do what you were doing now. Mm-hmm. What would it be? Ooh. I'd be a gardener. 
I'm not even gonna lie. Like I'd only work the summertime. Okay. That, 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 that was very quick. I, I, I'd be a gardener. No, real talk. Because I remember one time, I was like, when I, I think it was in Waitrose, and then I remember I was going home. Yeah, and I remember I just saw it, it was a summertime, and I saw the man. He put like a lot of joy into cutting like the leaves. And I was like, what a beautiful job he's done. He was getting a suntan. <laughs> the sun was there. He, like he was wearing a vest. Like all the women were looking at him. I said, boy, I wanna, I want, I want that. <laughs> I want that. I don't. Forget this PT thing, you know. What's next? Gardener. Gardener. Yeah. I'll definitely be doing music. Okay. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Really? I've heard yeah, your yeah. music. Oh, wow. Is that it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe yeah. don't give up the day I job. I say that um, Stormzy took my place. Sure. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. So yeah, that's if what happened. Him, you took my place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll send him this. We will, we will send him this. We'll get him on. We'll get him on. Um, so, I mean, with everything you said, so scariest thing you've ever done? What, what would it be? I mean, I don't think you can ask um, a man that's used six of his nine lives the scariest yeah. thing. So I really don't have the scariest. Everything has been very scary. You know, but climbing Mont Blanc was pretty scary. Um, attempting the mountain was pretty scary. Um, sending my first email before when I had no email address, no signature, no bank account. And I had to come out from the underworld into the mainstream. That was very, very scary. Yeah, then, you know, so I just don't, yeah. I've just, I'm always scared. Yeah. You know? But so, you know what, though, as well, I get that because I like being scared. Yeah. Because if I fall into a comfort zone and you start to feel comfortable, yeah. I find mm -hmm. that actually quite yeah, scary because sure. I, like, I like the fire yeah. under yeah, me yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, again, using fear and uh, to get the most out of, out of yourself, I think. Mm -hmm really important because yeah. I think and it, you know although it's a fantastic thing to be content and that's probably one of the nicest things anyone could ever be in life is be, be content you should always be content with what you've got mm -hmm. um, but I think that actually just sort of having that that bit of bit of fear there to keep doing the next thing to keep yeah. pushing yourself because again if you hadn't had that fear and pushed yourselves you both yeah you, yeah, you yeah, that yeah. that's really what drives mm. the change and, and actually Carl you said something interesting about the uh, the, the success yeah. and big success and middle success tell us a bit more about that because we, we <laughs> people say to me all the time oh you're successful and whatever yeah. and then you know I don't consider my successful and then you know we're fortunate with other likes of Richard and yeah. whatever you know Mr Branson and Again, I don't know if he would consider himself successful, but probably not. Yeah, probably not. Um, and, and everyone's always kind of <coughs> looking to the next thing, because otherwise you just you stand still. Agreed. And I think I can't think of anything worse than standing still. Standing still is scary, because yeah. yeah. the world is moving al alongside you or past you, and then you kind of get, get left behind. But tell us, what's, what's middle success and big success? Um, my middle success for me is... And do you consider yourself successful? Um, yeah, you know, I've got that same bug where I haven't scratched the surface of what's in my mind's eye. So mm -hmm. I would say, no, mm -hmm. you know, um, not to be ungrateful, but I've got mm -hmm. positive dissatisfaction. You know, okay. I just, just like, I'm, I think life's about growth, contribution. I'm hungry. I want more. You know? Yeah. So, um, but the middle success is the fact that I'm on private jets. I'm on private islands. I'm Sounds horrific. I was actually. You know, you know, it, is, it is actually when. It's not horrific, Carlos. You know what? Because you would work really hard, let's say, yeah? And you would attain these things. And then you'll realize that obviously these things aren't a driver because it's not adding anything to you. When you get it prior to you of kind of doing maybe that legwork or making that mm -hmm. kind of, you know? 
and then you're exposed and you're like, yeah, this is not worth killing myself for. Yeah. You know? Mm. I'm like, no, I don't really want to like not see my son because of this. Yeah, yeah. I don't really want to like never be home because of this. And that was a bit of a head spin. You yeah. Know, that was what I say for me. It was a unique middle success, but yeah, that's been my, yeah. Okay. Ty, do you consider yourself successful where you are, where you've come um, from? Do you know what? I remember I was talking to this this guy. I was in, I was in some meeting and this guy, uh, he started a patisserie. He's the CEO, I think, of Patisserie Valerie. And I remember I was telling him and I said something, oh, like, you know, I want to be successful. And he knows my story. And he goes, how, how, how are you trying to just say you're not successful now? And then he made me think, like, everything that I've done has been successful. You know, I've been able to change my life around, successful. You know, out of all my whole family, yeah, like, I'm the first person to ever drive a car, successful. So, hell yeah, I'm definitely successful. Mm -hmm. I come from nothing to where I am now, so I say that I'm successful, but I always want more. I want to keep mm -hmm. on pushing, you know. I want to I wanna keep on growing and keep on pushing. So, I am successful and I'll always be grateful. But as Carl said, we, we want to mm -hmm. keep on going and we want more. And I really want to ask you guys, both of you as well, that we know what's the biggest failure you think you've ever had and what have you learned from it? And just while you mm. think about an answer to that, I was thinking about this this morning. I was thinking, actually, what's my biggest failure? And I've been kind of thinking about it on and off all day. And I think, do you know what? I failed at loads of things, but because I've learned mm. from it, is it a failure? Yeah. But actually, so I thought, I can't think of one I mean, for me, failure. I can't answer for me. that question because of that, my philosophy. <laughs> Yeah. And my philosophy is one of the chaos theory. It's one of the butterfly effect. I believe that. You know, I believe that a butterfly flattening its wings on one side of the hemisphere could equate to a hurricane on the next. That is my genuine belief. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it may sound silly, but I've realized that. <laughs> it's weird. Whenever I'll be sat in like a cell, yeah, <laughs> after I've been nicked, I'll be looking at the ceiling. How many times were you arrested? Can you remember? Oh, several. So, okay, several, yeah. yeah. So I'll be looking at the ceiling. And it would say, are you sick and tired of feeling sick and tired? And that's for any maybe drug users or maybe someone that swallowed drugs in order mm -hmm. when they're in there just to, you know? And I'll be looking at that and I'm thinking, I'm just sick and tired of being in here, yeah? But if I had gone left, maybe I would not have been in here today. And I'm like, oh, no, I shouldn't have called Marlon. If I didn't call Marlon, I wouldn't mm, have been yeah, here today. Yeah. Then I was like, you know what? I actually should have actually lost my phone when I did think I lost it, but then I found it on the wall. <laughs> I should have lost the phone because if I had lost the phone, I wouldn't be. And I've realized that life is a series of decisions and you don't know which decision you make and it's going to have the greatest ramification. You can't, mm. it's not quantifiable. There's no metric for it. So mm. for me to say which is my biggest failure, it might have been a small thing that had a huge consequence, you know? So I just can't answer that in a nutshell. <laughs> Ty, anything to add to that? Um, do you know what? It's like, you guys say, I, I mean, I've made decisions which put me in, in, in situations which, like, you know, like I wouldn't wish upon anyone. But if I had not been through those situations, I wouldn't be, like, where I am now. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, it's, 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 that's how it is. And so I, I can't, Look here, but I mean, I've made mistakes. Yeah. Mistakes, but like failures. I always say like, even with my business, like the only, t like you can't fail on your business until like you just give up and just let, you know, but if you keep on trying, if you wake up every day and say, you know, even if you, you feel like on a, you have a down day, the next day you get up and say, you know, I'm going to try again. Like you're not failing, you're, 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 you're progressing. You know, sure. it's progression. So that's how I, that's how I look at it. 
Okay, no, awesome. And we're running out of time, but just a couple of quick ones just, just for me. So yeah. most, most inspirational person, thing in your life right now, you might have answered this, Carl, with, with Lion maybe, so he yeah, inspires you. Sure. He inspires me. Um, ties yeah, that one. Me, you're not allowed to say me, by the way. I know it's tempting. Yeah, that'll no, be the, no, yeah, that'll yeah, be the yeah, first yeah, thing yeah. coming to your house. Obviously, it's me. All right, mate, don't Let's yourself. just assume I'm obviously <laughs> the number one, but apart from me, most inspirational right, There person. are many people, but do you know what? Like, for me, like my kids... You know, my three mm-hmm. kids, like my lady, she holds me down. Like, okay, so we've got, we've, got we've got a question as well. Could we just get a, get a mic over? We've got a mic there, lovely. Question, sir. So I did have the, the question you kind of just answered was, um, you're all sort of influences in your own space. What's currently influencing you? So you sort of spoke about your family, but is there anything else that you're watching, reading, um, absorbing, taking in that's influencing you right now? Yeah. And if that question's already been answered, then the second one is, one, what one truth do you believe that most people disagree with you on? Oh, I like that last one. Say that again. What was that? That's one truth that what you one truth do you believe that most people disagree with you on? Do you know what it is? I feel like the fact that disadvantage is an advantage. Okay. I don't know whether I'm delusional and convinced myself that because I had nothing but disadvantage. Mm-hmm. My surname, my skin colour, mm-hmm. my socioeconomic situation, the fact that my parents never had a burgundy book they call a passport. You know, all of these different things. You know, I don't know whether I've had to convince myself of this truth, but I genuinely believe it. Okay. I read in a book one day that when it's darkest, that's when light kind of stands out. So I'm kind of okay, like, being an outlier. Mm. You know, I, I feel like it helps develop patience muscles and all yeah, these yeah, next that. yeah, So that's the supplement yeah. there. Yeah. It's pain. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I'm like, I genuinely believe that. And then when I try to share that with some people coming from my situation, um, sometimes they don't have, they, there's no reception for it because they're like, that's not necessarily true, but I do believe that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I think for me, I've got one actually in terms of your, your, your last question of um, what, would, what do I believe in that people would disagree with? And actually, uh, we started uh, Grenade with very little money, with £500. And I think it's a, it's a misconception that probably people think that to start a business, and actually probably all agree with this, that you need a lot of money or, or whatever. And actually, I think potentially having money to start a business, again, can be a, a disadvantage. Because certainly, yeah, because, because we had no money, we couldn't compete with what all of our competitors were doing because they had unlimited budgets to do stuff. So we got £500, so you have to really think. And if you got a lot of money, you'd spend it. But then you do the same that everyone else does. So I think we really had to think about what would have impact. I know, for instance, with, our, with the early sports nutrition shows, all of our competitors would give away free T-shirts. They'd give away thousands and thousands and thousands of free T-shirts. We couldn't afford to do that, so we turned up and we sold ours. And we were the only people in the, in the, the actual event that sold T-shirts, and we sold out. Oh. And, and actually, a lot of the other competitors, they'd, um, a lot of the competitors, they, they took T-shirts home that were given away for free. And I thought, actually, when the time that we realized that we could sell out of something and competitors couldn't give their stuff away, I thought we probably got something really special. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Um, for me, do you know what? Like, one of the things I always remember is, like, you see, when my parent, my mum, my used to always say, like, you need to go to school, get a good education. And I still hear that a lot of times now, which is, you do have to get a good education to go then, to go get a job and to, and to go and work for a good company, which, you know, people do. Mm-hmm. And, like, that was always driven in, like, when you're growing up. And, and for me, like, you know, I want to teach to my kids, it doesn't, if you want to do your own thing, 
go and just live your dream. Like, you don't have to go and get the best education and then go and work for someone. If you want to do something, to just go and live your dream and, and do that. So for me, that's definitely something that I'm going to implement towards my kids and, 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 and show them that, you know, daddy done it. You know, even though daddy was taught a different way. Cheers. Cheers, thank you. Cool. And I think just for me as well, what's your, what would be your biggest fear? What are you most scared of? My biggest fear is going broke. Like, because <laughs> when I grew up, yeah. seriously, like having no money, like having no money, like literally, like I remember like my mum used to, like months upon months, eviction notice, eviction notice. Like, it's crazy. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it was, it was mad. And um, my mum used to like clean and I just used to like go with her on weekends to like clean and it was crazy. And for me to ever think about going back there yeah. Yeah. is like, that's one of my biggest fears. Like, but, but, but that's where as well, to answer that gentleman's previous question as well with what most people would consider to be an advantage. So really that's where actually having no money is an advantage because you learn what it's like to have no right, money. Right. So yeah, then you yeah, don't yeah. want to go back there. Whereas again, if you inherit money, or you know you're born into it, you don't know what any different. Like. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you don't know what it's like to see the other sides. But at least if you see both sides, then yeah, yeah. you know you've 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 got the choice. Uh, Carl, uh, biggest biggest fear? Regret. Okay. I mean, it's the one. Well, regret doing this podcast is one thing, presumably. <laughs> it's too late for that now. You committed. No, it's just. I feel like in life you've got to pick a pain, and I feel like regret is the most painful. So obviously we fear what is painful and I just don't want to be stuck with regret. <laughs> I'd rather undergo the pain of discipline than to live with the pain of regret. I can't handle regret. I hate thinking I should have moved. So it's kind of similar to your yeah. standing still. I just, I can't think that my days you should have done that 10 years from now because yeah. it would just hurt too much, especially if the door has closed, yeah. you know, and there are seasonal doors. So yeah. Again, I'd much rather do something and fail yeah. and have done it then have the regret. Sure. Yeah, not doing it yet. No, no, yeah, no, yeah, completely yeah. agree. It was just a quick one. Um, Carl, you mentioned about um, reading a lot. Yeah. Um, to me, I believe that the key to personal growth is through reading and learning. So um, what book would you say has had like, the biggest impact on Ooh. your life? Um, wow. Can be the tie as well. Obviously, mm, it's not yeah. going to be that yoga book, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it could be a different one. Um... I think it's almost the first two I read during that season, which was first, How I Lost My Virginity, Richard Branson. Oh, oh the same for me. Yeah. You've stolen my answer. Look at that. Yeah. And then um, Nelson Mandela, Long Walk to Freedom. Those two books really, yeah, really affected me in a deep way. For me, um, do you know what? When I remember, like, when I was going into my, trying to start my own business, one guy was like, read this uh, book, Think and Grow Rich. And uh, yeah, I read that book and, and, and it just changed my whole mindset, like just thinking on those levels and, and understanding and learning. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, you know, the thing is, yeah, what's crazy is that when I, when I was growing up, like I couldn't even really read like properly. So it took a lot of time for me to break things down. So I'd have to read a page, digest it, go back and read the page again. And like, it would take me like an average time to, for someone to read a book quickly. For me, it would take like half a year to properly understand what it was, but it changed my life, like seriously. So yeah, definitely read that book. Yeah, I've got a question for okay. Carl. Um, if you could go back and do life differently or not yeah. do that part of your life and you're in the gangs, would you like, would, if you could, or 
like would you have changed anything or do you think it has molded you to who you are today i know it's a bit of a it's a bit of yeah. a very a fairy question because obviously yeah. it hasn't yeah. happened but could, would you i don't want to sound like not a nice person and say <laughs> no i won't change anything <laughs> but again with my philosophy currently is i do believe if you move certain elements it's almost like jenga you know and i don't at risk of the rest of it falling yeah. i can't i don't want to remove a piece but absolutely i have friends that are here to are not here today mm. you know and i would love to just yeah. Like I said for, on my Instagram post when I was celebrating my 30th last month. Yeah, I'm getting old now. So <laughs> I was celebrating my 30th and then I went to Paris and I was just with some mates. And I said, I've lived tiny times too. Yeah. You know, because my friend died when mm. we were 15 and I'm just thinking. So I would love to have him back. But, yeah. but his death has been a fuel for me, mm -hmm. quite literally. Yeah. I remember one day I was doing a climb up to Verbier on the bike. And I mean, I had done no hill climbing and I was the biggest guy in the Lycra. And I'm just there trying to get it done. And I am dying. It feels like my, I'm, my heart's going to jump attack. out of my chest. <laughs> and then I stopped. And then I thought, my days. Right, you don't have a body. Alex don't have a body. I have a body. I'm going to use mine. And I started to play tricks with, in my, with my mind. And I said that my pedaling is his heart beating. So I said, don't stop. Otherwise, he dies, even though I know he's dead. You know, so... I wouldn't have had that. I wouldn't have yeah. got up, you know? So I don't know. But so, yeah. I, I, I don't think you should change your thing. And I tell you what, guys, we're out of time, but you guys have been absolutely stunning, really inspirational. Yeah. So everyone, thank, uh, thank yeah. you for that. That's brilliant. Guys, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, I've been Alan Barrett with Pull the Pin, and this week we've been pulling the pin on failure with two amazing guests, Ty Brennan and Carl Locko. So thanks for tuning in, and remember to subscribe on Spotify and iTunes and all of the channels. Thanks for listening. Thanks.